0: Welcome to the Cedar and Forge Real Estate Investment Podcast. I'm the host, Shona Lepis. Follow along as we unpack and demystify real estate investment strategies through expert interviews and personal experience. From how to find off-market deals to creative financing to long-term and mid-term rentals. Our goal is to educate and inspire others to gain financial freedom and generational wealth through real estate investing hello everyone thanks for joining us today i'm happy to have brandon hendrick on we met at a local rei group and he's done matterport and virtual video tours for my midterm and long-term rentals i like absolutely love that i rarely do in-person showing since i have virtual tours so brandon i would love to hear about how you got into real estate investing and your journey so far
1: yeah well hey thank you so much for having me on your podcast i appreciate it greatly Um, a long time, what is it? Long time listener, first time caller. (laughs) Um, so yeah, so how I got started, um, like many people, uh, rich dad, poor dad, the book, right. That's where everybody starts, like from this major dissatisfaction with the nine to five figuring out, okay, how do I get wealthy? How do I stop working for other people? I, you know, for me personally, it was my dissatisfaction with having a boss and having a landlord. And I was like, man, I really want to be in control of my destiny. I want to be in control of my time. I want to be in control of where I live and when I live and all that other stuff. So I was just started like doing what anybody would do, go on Google, start reading books, blog, blogs, podcasts, all that stuff trying to figure out. And I ran into Robert Kiyosaki, the rich dad, poor dad, bigger pockets, all these different like YouTube, there's all kinds of people talking about it. So I just started to, like, learn and absorb as much information as I possibly could to, like, help me figure out, okay, what's my path? And like everybody else, there's, you know, there's stocks, there's starting your own business, there's real estate, and I resonated with real estate. So I just kind of went headlong into that um, because I like the fact that you can use leverage, the bank's money, Um, there's A lot lower risk of failure, like with a business, right? There's a pretty high chance that you could fail. And that's scary to lose everything. And stocks, uh, you have no control over the up and down. With real estate, you just have a lot more control, which I think is important to me. Um, So that's kind of the why I got started. How I got started was probably like, I wouldn't say the worst way possible, but like very uh very not good (laughs) i got a an agent that i just i I think a friend of a friend said hey this guy's an agent if you're looking for a house and he didn't know anything about real estate investing i'm certain about that now and he's just like yeah let's find you a house brandon you can start a family and all that other stuff and i was like well hold on hey i i that That's not the, the true intent of why I'm trying to buy a place. I, I I want something that's an investment. I want something that cash flows. I want something that, you know, the cash on cash return, ROI, all that stuff. And he probably looked at me like uh, glazed over eyes. And he's like, sure, let's do that. And at that point, I should have ran, but I didn't know any better. Um, Even though I did all this reading and stuff like that, I thought I could just like, well, I don't need my agent to know anything. I just I just need him to open the door, and then I'll figure it out. And that was a big mistake. I definitely wish I would have had somebody who knew more, who had some doors, you know, that could have given me proper guidance. Um, but yeah, having an agent that wasn't a real estate investor uh, himself or herself was a big mistake, I think. Um, and then um, I bought it on market. <laughs> which uh, which is another, you know, classic kind of mistake. Uh, you know, when there's so many options of finding off-market deals, buying from wholesalers, um, negotiating yourself and and saving the realtor commissions. There's like a hundred other better ways to do it than buy it with a real estate agent that's not an investor on market. <laughs> um, so I my first deal I paid retail for. I paid exactly what it was worth, no equity whatsoever. Um, so probably the worst way you can start. The reason why I bought the deal was because I thought I could house hack it. Um, I thought if I came in here and I lived in one of the rooms and rented out the other bedrooms, that I would be able to live for free and save money for down payment on another property. Which happened to be true. Um, It actually did work out that way. Uh, house hacking is the best way to cash flow. If you don't know what you're like, and I'm telling you guys this. I, I probably did the worst deal you possibly could. And it still worked because I house hacked it. So I was living for free um, and I was saving my money. I did a lot of the repairs that I could myself. I had a buddy of mine who helped me put down a new carpet downstairs. Uh, we put luxury vinyl plank, uh, which took forever um, because it was 1500 square feet minus two bathrooms. So, yeah, it took forever. I wish I would have hired somebody. Uh, It took way longer than it should have. Um, But I did a lot of the work that I could myself, you know, cleaning out the gutters, painting, that type of stuff. You need to to sweat equity. Mm -hmm. So um, I I bought this house, $400,000. That's exactly what it's worth. That's what it pays for. That's what it was on market for. Um, Needed work. So, you know what all the books tell us to do, right? Buy the worst looking house in the best neighborhood you could afford. So I at least did that right. Mm -hmm. I, I did that. Um, And it was a four-bed, three-bath house with an office, so I turned it into a five-three. Obviously, by adding a fifth bedroom, didn't really increase the value of the property. It's not like from a two-bedroom to a three. Adding the fifth bedroom didn't really add very much equity, but it allowed me to rent another room. And that's how I made it work. And the property needed a lot of work, and I started doing it, needed a fence, needed all this other stuff. I watched a bunch of YouTube videos to kind of figure it out. And I did over time and I paid some people and, and I made it work. And I don't know if I got lucky because of COVID hate to say that, but with the, the crazy explosion in equity, um, I, I bought an on-market deal for exactly the cost. I, it might've even, I might've even lost money because of all the money I had to put into it. I put in like 30,000 in repairs and sweat equity and stuff like that. And it probably was worth like four (laughs) twenty. So like (laughs) terrible deal, terrible deal. And because of COVID, I bought that in 2019 when I was 26. So this all happened when I was 25. And I decided to make a change. 13 months later, I bought the house at 26. And then COVID happened like a year later. And within two years, I was up like $200,000 in equity. Because I leveraged the bank's money, I made profit on $400,000 worth of equity, not my 3.5% down first-time homebuyer. So I, I I will like I was all in the deal for like thirteen thousand and I got a huge house. Um so the leverage was just amazing. and I was able to get gains on all that. And last time I looked, I mean, their houses in that area are selling for like six hundred thousand. So like I I've made two hundred thousand dollars off of a terrible deal. but uh, maybe I got lucky with timing, right? I wouldn't suggest that, but I was able to live for free which allowed me to save up my down payment for my next property, which is another type of house hack. I just did it with a four unit building. So um, I don't know if you, how much you want me to go into that, but that's kind of how I started with, with the house. And um, it required a lot of work. I bought a terrible deal on market with an agent dude had no experience and uh, it still worked. So house hacking is extremely powerful. But I did get tired of sharing a bathroom in a kitchen with my renters, so, <laughs> so I really had to go buy another deal.
0: No, <laughs> yeah, well, hey, first of all, I think the fact that you took action and bought a house and made it work—I mean, it was actually a good deal. That's how I got started. I it was having a roommate at the time. That's was house hacking was not a trend. <laughs>
1: yeah yeah exactly before it was a
0: thing yeah exactly (laughs) i I was looking for like a mother-in-law and then i was like well i have i found a house with it upstairs and i was like the living room is not shared the kitchen is shared in the bathroom and i was sometimes hide out in my rooms i didn't want to see anyone
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly (laughs) what it feels like if you haven't house hacked yet your room (laughs) is the only safe like you have an entire house and your room is the only safe place like yeah. my
0: first roommate or roommate was a super he did this guy he played video games he kept to himself he was brilliant and then i mean i never was a great come down and boil water you know, every night and then he'd go back to his room and then i had a few more and this one girl was just super sweet just really chatting and i knew when she'd get home so i'd run to my room you know she was getting home from work because i was like Jeez. i don't want to have to talk but look i think you know i think when you're starting out like you go to mls but i think people should know like it's not the worst thing right because there are creative strategies so just starting and Mm -hmm. taking action i think is like the takeaway right because it's yeah you like you want your first deal to be off market owner financing like zero down like all the things right and that's not really realistic
1: (laughs) yeah and and here's the one thing i want to tell people i did nothing out of the ordinary nothing i got an agent I bought an on market property with a 3.5% down because that's what you can do as a first time home buyer. I did nothing out of the ordinary. Anybody can do this. All you need is 3.5% down, good credit. And I think you have to be at your job for at least one year. Yeah. So that's it. That's it. I mean, and I know that may be really difficult for people, or if you're a gig worker or whatever, and especially in this economy with. The way things are going with interest rates and home values and wages not keeping up, I understand that's way more difficult now than it was maybe even just in 2019. Um, But whatever you got to do, even if you got to get a co-signer, whatever it is, I think like you're saying and your previous guest, John, with Taking Action, my biggest win out of that was that I now have $200,000 in equity. just because i bought something i bought something at market value and since 2019 all the way to now yes the covid explosion super helped but let's say not even that i would still be up 75 hundred thousand dollars. and i needed a place to live anyways
0: totally yeah
1: so you know so just buy something you know what i mean like i mean maybe don't try to buy a terrible deal but at least buy an okay deal right and and you'll you'll be fine what is it I've heard somebody say the worst deal today will be the best deal on the market 10, 20 years in the future.
0: Exactly right. It's a very long game. Like and yes. I think people think you have to have this crazy cash flow. And it's like, you know what, your mortgage stays the same when your rents keep going up, right? You just gotta think long term and get Yep, started. exactly. And I'm
1: glad you said cash flow because that's Robert Kiyosaki's favorite word. Right. And that's what was ingrained into my head is it had to cash flow. It had to cash flow. And that's still ingrained in my head. I don't feel comfortable buying a house where I am negative every month cuz I I don't have a bunch of money. I'm not a rich millionaire with right. with 50 units or 100 units, right? Like being cash flow negative is is a bad way to start. So I would recommend not doing that. Um even if you're breaking even, you're really right. not. Yeah. You're really not. Like you have to cash flow because uh, one plumber 300 bucks boom you, you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. whatever right whatever it is yep. you're just out of money immediately so you really want to cash flow very very if you're going to do anything i think that's the only thing i did do right is that i knew that i would live for free so all the money i would have spent on rent whether it be seven hundred dollars eight hundred dollars a thousand i could in my mind put that aside and say hey if anything happens this is house money. This is money I would have paid to rent anyways, put it into my own house. So that's, that was the biggest thing. That was the reason with the house hack is that I knew I could cash flow If I rented out all the rooms for $700, uh, cause it was a five, three, it would cover my mortgage and some, and I had PMI and I had PMI. Like, I mean, you know, putting 20% down, it will, you know, take too long. Uh, don't, don't wait for that. Just buy something now and pay the PMI and, and this is what I tell people, especially like aspiring new people. Um, I would take a loan at fifty percent interest. I would pay fifty percent interest as long as the renters covered it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how much interest you're paying, as long as it as long as it makes sense, as long as it pencils, as long as the rents cover the 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 mortgage. Who cares?
0: Exactly, and and I think you know you can refi. In a couple of years, we're going to refi. We're not stuck exactly. with these loans forever. Right? Exactly. I mean,
1: exactly. Yeah, it's... the people who are buying right now, that's that's great. Prices have come down. That's great. You're at six, seven percent. As long as your rents are covered, uh, covering the mortgage, who cares? And maybe even in this environment, maybe it's okay to be break uh, break even because when you refi down the road, you're going to drop your PMI. You're going to you're going to make a huge spread on going from seven or six percent interest down to hopefully four. Mm-hmm. maybe five, right, percent, you know, we'll see. Uh, I'm not a Fed spokesperson or anything. Okay. But but when I, because I plan on buying another house, so I'm going to do my taxes in February because I need to fix my DTI because when you're doing conventional loans, they have all these requirements mm-hmm. and debt to income is one of them. And my DTI is really high. On paper, I make $60,000 a year from a W-2 job and I have almost a million dollars in debt from the two properties. And they don't like that. They said that that's your DTI is too high. And I said, okay, what do I need to do? And they said, well, lower your debt or make more money. So I'm trying to do both.
0: It's another reason for like owner carry right now. It's another story. <laughs> yeah,
1: yes. Yeah. If you can get seller finance, do that. Yeah, trust me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and the other thing I really want to emphasize is owner occupied, right? It is such an opportunity yes. because from the bank's perspective, you are in there. You are way less likely to walk away from an investment property versus owner occupied. So if you can just leverage your W-2 and owner occupied status, right? Yes. But I don't think people really quite realize that, how important <laughs>
1: yeah no it's huge I mean so I'll just tell you some of the benefits from owner occupying so it went like this my down payment was really low three three and a half percent um when I went to refinance when rates were really low um two years later um I got a 2.6 percent because I was still living in the property so I was at 4.3 when I bought it mm-hmm. I was able to get rid of my PMI and go down to 2.6 percent. Because I was still living in it, regardless of all the renters, I was still living there. And then before I left to go buy my next property, owner occupied, I got a home equity line of credit and I got better terms and better rates and better treatment because it was my personal residence. So that's what I would tell people is buy a house, refi when it makes sense. And then before you leave, get a get a home equity line of credit. And that's exactly what I did, and then I used. I uh, actually ended up using that line of credit on a flip. I I think I paid eight hundred dollars to the bank to do a flip with one of my partners. Right in like interest, eight hundred dollars mm-hmm. on my HELOC, mm-hmm. and I ended up making over twenty thousand with my partners. Like we each made twenty thousand, and I paid the bank like eight hundred bucks. That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like Helocs are amazing. Like amazing. do it. Like and the cool thing is you don't have to pay anything if you right. don't use it. It's not a loan. It's a line of credit. And 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 I think in this economy, access to credit, whether it's cash or a line of credit, will be invaluable for repairs, for buying another property, for doing a flip, for JVing with somebody, for uh, you know, uh, whatever. Right. Just having access to the capital is very very important. As we come into, you know, the next couple years—one, two, three years—of where where we're um, going to be seeing a lot of a lot of things happen, where in the market, where um, the different, the different, um, the different market shifts that are going to be happening, where people may be going into foreclosure, where properties may be coming up for sale much more affordably. And you want to have access to capital. You want to have mm-hmm. the money. You want to be able to partner with people so you can take advantage of those opportunities. Um, so that's kind of why I'm harping on that the home equity line of credit. It's very, very important to have that. Um, and that's what I did, that's what I'm gonna do on this house too. So I used the fact that I wasn't paying rent or mortgage in my house to save all the money I could. That's my only strategy, you guys. That's the only thing that I've implemented consistently is save all of the money you possibly can for my next down payment. And that's how I bought my fourplex. I was able to save up a bunch of money because I wasn't paying rent to anybody or my own mortgage. And I was able to buy a fourplex off market with the down payment that I'd saved up. Um, And again, you get better terms and rates if you own or occupy
0: the magic. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it really banks love it. And I'm just like, cool, I'm gonna keep doing this until I can. (laughs) not
0: And I will say just, I think, get that line of credit before you need it, you want to be positioned, right? Don't do it when you've got an offer out, and you're all stressed out, like just have it there. Do it when you're like, hey, I'm just looking just position yourself, right? Because it's not something you want to scramble and do, in my opinion.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, uh, my HELOC, I did my first HELOC that I did with key bank, I said, hey, I need this fast. Can you do it fast? And they're like, absolutely. So they did a desktop appraisal and they appraised my property for $10,000 more than I bought it for two years ago. So they, so stupid. So don't ever, in my experience, don't do a desktop appraisal because I got burnt really bad. And then it took about two and a half months total to close a, a home equity line of credit because then they had to start all over from scratch and get an appraiser schedule that and then the appraiser instead of appraising it for 410 it came back at 550 so huge, huge difference
0: <laughs> huge like massive difference changing right
1: yeah 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 and i mean i told the lady at key bank i said i have receipts from home depot of just material more than $10,000 you guys got to be kidding me yeah
0: i mean it's so just, yeah yeah, that's, that's the perfect example of why I do it when you're yeah, so my first house that I bought in 2005, like I saw the equity going up and I was at the time single and I, I don't know why I didn't dive into I didn't do a lot of research, but I was just like my equity and so I Then eventually pulled equity out. And then we got another line of credit that was like a backup. And then one day I was like, wait a minute, we have this line of credit just sitting there, won't we buy a house? And it was just kind of, I mean, just it's there and you can tap it and you can also walk lines of credit. They're not necessarily, you know, up and down. So there's just... Again, and you're not paying for it unless you use it, but it's just equity. Like, I wouldn't, I mean, I would never say pull a credit, take a vacation, put it into an asset, right? Like, it's, be careful. Don't, you know, say, oh, I have all this cash, right? And I think that that does happen, so.
1: No, that's a really good point. And I think that's probably, the the reason why I used my HELOC for a flip is because I was able to get the money in and out quickly. Mm -hmm. So I think that's probably the ideal use of a HELOC. The second usage would be like what you said to buy another property, but the cash flow has to not only cover the mortgage, mm-hmm. the first mortgage, it has to cover repairs of that place. Then you also have to make sure the cash flow pays back your HELOC, mm-hmm. ideally.
0: Right. Yeah. Um,
1: because because you're leveraged to your teeth and you have two loans going simultaneously, and repairs are always an eventuality. So you want to make sure that like if you're doing that be very careful because you don't want to, you know, I mean, obviously if you can pay back your own HELOC, great. And if you're just using it for a down payment or using it for whatever, and you have the money to pay that every month, that's fine. But you can only do that so many times.
0: Yeah. No, I was always like, if the loans have to, like the, if I'm going to get a rental, it's got to cover all the loans and then be a little cash flow positive. But I will say, I think when people think about investing, they have this fear, like everything's going to break all at once. And I've had that happen. I've had the furnace go. I had termites and I had a leak. And guess what? I figured I got a credit card out. I financed it. I didn't necessarily have that cash. So there are ways to like figure out repairs. Yes, you should be saving for CapEx, but I didn't know what I was doing when I started. And I was like, oh, termites. Okay. I don't, you know, furnace, like, it's like I no, know and, idea, no, that, right?
1: and, and that's it. A- that's a great point that really is and and that's why I go back to my original strategy of save every single stinking penny that you make Mm -hmm. like save it all because you just never know. know um you know what I mean like you never know when you're gonna have a roof leak and yeah you could throw a tarp over it maybe you can you know have a repair or something like that but like You gotta, you gotta be ready for that stuff.
0: I vividly remember the call. It was like the termites. And then I had, I was, I'm neurotic about getting my furnace check. And the guy looks at me. He's like, this is like unsafe. I'm like, well, I didn't, how would I know that? And he was just super like rude. I'm like, sorry. I had, I was just all at the same time. And it was just like first rental. And then you just figure it out. Like, oh, a furnace isn't, you just get estimates and you can finance it if you need to. So anyway, but those things will come up when you don't expect them for sure.
1: (laughs) Exactly. So having see, a line yeah. of credit is
0: nice. It is. Yeah. Or even, I mean, credit cards are not ideal, but yeah. you can right? It's like not the worst use of them if, if you're in a bind. Right. Cause you need to,
1: yeah. Sell. I mean, a credit card gives you 29 days to figure yeah, it out right. before your first payment.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Not That's saying you right. want to live life like that, but right. you know.
0: But, and when you're balancing out, right, you're building, using it. I do want to go back to kind of this house hacking and rent by the room. Cause I think, I think people talk about it. They don't really unpack like the logistics of it and like the do's and don'ts and pros and cons. If you're cool with that, I'd love to hear more.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I won't say I'm an expert, but I did live with my renters for two years. So, (laughs) so I learned a lot. I learned a lot. So Gosh, where to start with that? Um, So, okay, first and foremost, I'll say I did rent to two of my buddies and it did not work out well. (laughs) So, uh, so when they, when people say, you know, don't mix friends, family, and business or friends, family, and money, um, I, I now believe it. Um, Everything ended amicably, but um, it just, there's this, there's this certain dichotomy, this, 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 this landlord renter thing that, that, that it's a very fine line and and you can't, you can't become friends because then friends are like, oh, hey, I only got half the rent or, hey, you know, I, you know, I don't have time to to do my chores this week. I'll get it next week or, or, hey, can I borrow your car? Can I borrow 20 bucks? You know, like you can't. <laughs> You can't yeah. be doing that with your renters. You just can't. It, it will not work. You will fail nine times out of 10, nine and a half times out of 10. So I, I went down that road and it didn't work very well. So I ended up having to ask my friend to leave, which was really, really tough. Luckily, they found a better spot and everything worked out. And I, you know, I, I gave them like 60 days instead of 30. So I guess that's one thing is if you do find yourself in a tough spot, if you are living in the house and you're renting out by the room, and this is just between us landlords, you have way more rights with kicking people out um, or, or and, and I won't say like just dis- discriminate, but you can be more choosy because it's your house and you're living there. So there's, there's, you have way more rights. Look into it. I'm not a lawyer,
0: okay. right? right?
1: Look in, but so since can't. you are living there and they are only renting the room, you have a lot more rights and in, in leverage with, with, you know, what you choose to accept or, or whatever obviously follow fair housing rules for that particular situation, mm-hmm. talk to an attorney, all that stuff. But from what I've seen and what I, have you know, have in my forms, you know, you can be a little bit more choosy. You don't have to accept, you know, somebody who has, you know, three dogs, five kids, you know, three adults, you know, in a room, right? Yeah. Like with a room, there's only so much that that is can physically happen. Right, mm-hmm. so you you know you don't have to accept a whole family in a room or something like that. Okay. Um, but what really ended up working for me, and I and I kind of hate to say this, is the, it the household isn't one big happy family. It's a bunch of semi antisocial people that just want it. And, and, and I mean, everybody's nice and cordial, right? right. Everybody's nice yeah. and cordial. Like we have like a there's a chore list, and everybody does their thing but it's, it's not like potlucks. It's not like the Brady family or anything like that. It's people who are living their lives that, that just need a place to live. And, and that's kind of what it is. So, I mean, I did try that, you know, create, cultivate that whole really nice housing type of where everybody gets along type of thing, but with, with four different people and, and the landlord, it just really, it's really hard hard to cultivate that. It really is um, it, you just because there's so many different personalities. And I'm meeting these people on Facebook, Marketplace, Craigslist, their referrals of current renters, right? So, you know, they're just too many different personalities. Maybe to be a little bit different in a three-bed, two-bath house or like a two-one, like if it was you and another like roommate or renter, you know, but there's there's four people plus me. And now that I'm not there, there's five separate people that don't know each other from Adam, all living in the same house. So it's really like when I give people the tour, I tell them, look, we're looking for calm, cool, quiet individuals that want a peaceful place to live, <clears throat> that are, you know, that are clean, that, that take care of stuff and communicate well. If you think you're going to have any problems with any of that stuff, don't waste your time, because if everybody says you're the problem, I'm going to ask you to leave. So, you want to get along with everybody. You want to mind your own business. You want to do your own stuff. You want to be quiet during quiet hours. You don't want to have a bunch of friends over. Like, this is not the place to party because you have different people on different work schedules. So, I just tell everybody, like, this is the place you want to come and live and be as hyper respectful as you possibly can, just because this isn't an apartment, it's a house. So, you can't have people in and out all the time. You can't have multiple animals living here. You can't have guests you know, our parties or whatever, this isn't the place for the Super Bowl party. It's because you have so many different people living here, you just have to be really hyper respectful of everybody's sleeping and working situation. So <clears throat> I just tell people that and, and I've, I've gotten really good about figuring out who's going to be a good fit. Because when I tell when I say calm, cool and quiet, that I know what to look for in a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they have a really hectic schedule if they, you know, do nails or hair out of their house, if they're trying to run like some type of drop shipping business out of my garage or something like that, there's, there's just certain things that like you start talking to people and you listen to like, what is an average day in their life look like and will that fit with what's already here? Um, I mean, I had, I had one person and I love dogs, right? I do. I had one person show up um, because it was the downstairs and it has an amazing backyard. Which I thought would be great for dogs. And I said, Hey, dogs are welcome for sure. And this, but I said, You have to be the dog has to be calm, right? Has to be calm, right? Cause there's other people who work from home there and there's neighbors and stuff like that. She shows up. The dog is about pulling her down the driveway, freaking out, <laughs> <laughs> right? The whole tour, the dog would not stop. He was just yanking on the chain and just acting all kinds of crazy. And the person was a really nice person. But I was like, hey, this dog, you know, like we I don't think the other renters want to acclimate to three, five, 10 weeks of this dog learning about this new place and finally chilling out, Mm -hmm. you know, so it just ended up not working that way. Um, So, I mean, there's a bunch of different stuff, right? Like people have to share washers and dryers. They have to share the kitchen. They have to share bathrooms. Like, there's a bunch of things where you really have to work together as a team. And um, I really try hard to find people that like work well. Um, I don't just throw any random person in there. And it's really tough, you guys. Um, the reason why people are renting a room is there's two reasons. One, they're really frugal like me and they don't want to rent an apartment. Or two, they have some type of situation where they can't get into an apartment and it's normally that it's normally that somebody has felonies they have uh evictions they have 10 dogs they five kids like something some type of crazy situation and i've heard all of the stories i've heard them all because people like and i don't want to seem unsympathetic or anything like that to to my renters but generally the person looking to rent a room meets the lowest possible qualifications in the way of income and credit in a myriad of other things and they have all kinds of things going on in their life so i have to be extremely choosy and there's a lot of people that think they can just get in because oh it's just a room you know you you probably don't have any qualifications because you're a private small landlord and it's just a room. Mm-hmm. And I actually tell people this one guy, he said, geez, Brandon, you're asking more questions than a, than a job interview. <laughs> and I said, yes, yes, because a job only has to deal with you for eight hours. I have to deal with you for the rest. So yes, this is way more intensive than a job interview. And he said, well, if you got to ask all these questions, I don't think I'm interested. And I was like, I don't think I'm interested either. Um. So <laughs> You just, you, you really have to be careful with, with, with who, who you deal with because it, um and, and it's still an eviction, right? You can't just grab their stuff and throw them out on the street, right? There's still a process, even though they're renting a room. Once you have a lease, oh, another thing, even though it's renting a room, have a, have a lease agreement, have a very good lease agreement. It, it's, it's, it may seem like overkill, but it's not. You need to have all that stuff written down. Get good forms. I get my forms from Northwest Multifamily. I'm not a sponsor or anything like that. And just, yeah, even if it's just a roommate, even if it's your best friend, still, please just have them write sign a lease so everybody's on the same page with stuff. Um, yeah, that would be my advice with that. So it just it's very difficult to clientele that you have to choose from. Don't expect 700, 700, 800 credit scores with 6x the rent income because those people would go get an apartment. So, right. yeah, so it's, um, it, it, you know, it's a little bit more difficult in that way. However, the reason why I did it, one, is it house hacked and it allowed me to move on to bigger, better things. The second reason is um, it almost equals – and Shona would know better than I. I would say it almost equals or comes close to midterm rentals, um, or short term rentals, or something. The cash flow um, there. There's no way for me to put a family in that house and cash flow as much as I do by the room. Um, and I've even talked to a couple other uh, 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 managers, like rental managers, and said, "Hey, how can you best utilize this? How can I get the most income out of this?" And I tell them what I'm currently doing, and they said, "Ah." Man, even if you did like a midterm rental or a short term rental or something like that, you'd probably make like an extra, you know, thousand a week, maybe, or a thousand a month, maybe, you know. So I'm like, ah, you know, even if I can make possibly an extra thousand or two thousand dollars, do I want to furnish an entire house to do it and take the risk? See, I'm really risk adverse. I'll take the risk. Of like, okay, well, during the summer months, it's amazing. During the winter months, it's not so amazing. Like that fluctuation mm-hmm. is just too scary for me as I build my base of rentals. Like I think I want like a good solid base of cash flowing rentals before I do anything tricky or any anything really cool like what Shona does.
0: Yeah. All that. Right. I mean, you're maximizing it and that it's more work, but you're getting that much more money. So the risk is like worth it. Right. Like I vacancy gives me like hives. Like I just get like, I get into hyper like market mode. I'm like, I'm going to blast.
1: I've seen you with vacancy. Cause that's when you call me to go do a virtual <laughs> tour for your property.
0: <laughs> um. Yeah. I love that you stressed the screening. Cause I think oftentimes as small landlords, we don't, so Again, Metro Multifamily, I use Tenant Tech, like just use the forms. And I do have an addendum specifically for rooms that you're kind of doing your house rules in or are you just going with out of the box
1: forms? Um, I mean, in the house rules, it, it specifically right. says that they're renting the room and they're okay. responsible for that. And, I, and it's actually, there's a clause in there that says, since you're only renting the room, I, I as the landlord still have access to all common areas. So if I really wanted to, I could go walk in the front door without any type of notice
0: okay yeah
1: so I, I can go to the living room i can go to the kitchen every any spot other than their bedroom um so it still gives me a lot of autonomy to check up on my property and make sure nothing crazy's happened. Mm-hmm. um but i try not to do that right like if they're not causing problems if 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 you know if things are running smoothly Um, I try to leave them alone right because you know nobody wants their landlord just coming in and kicking it you know all all the time right Right? so but 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 I've lived there so most of the people know me like because I've lived there I think Mm -hmm. we've I mean the person who took my room obviously I've never lived with and then we have switched one other person but three of the five people have lived with me so they know what I'm looking for they know the expectations the cleanliness that type of stuff and I feel like they kind of keep that household standard for me which i really appreciate
0: that's awesome do you put locks on doors so everyone has like private doors like smart locks or regular locks or
1: um just regular locks with a key for their own room um i had somebody tell me that that was required by law i'm not sure but i just know me personally when i was living with strangers i'm putting a lock on my door you know (laughs) because when i'm not there you know like i don't want any of my stuff to disappear um You know, not saying that I would try to find those individuals that would do something like that, but you just never know. And um, I just, I I think it's, I mean, it's easy. What are they, like $30 or whatever. It's
0: pretty low tech, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. it's Just give everybody a key. I give them a front door key and then a room key. And, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, it's a little bit of a hassle. Um, but I mean, it's, it's same with the house, right? Like the tenants are going to give you the keys back, the garage door, the front door key and all that stuff. So it's very similar, but yeah, I think it's very important to have locks on the, on the doors just to make people feel more comfortable with living with strangers.
0: That makes sense. And then one more thing I know people ask me with midterms, like I'm assuming you're including utilities and billing them back or how do you handle utilities and internet?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So, um, this was kind of trial by error. I didn't um, I didn't really know the best way to go about it. Um, so I just kind of sat and I thought to myself, how can I make this easy as possible for me? Because I don't want to be dealing with this forever. Mm-hmm. So I had two options really, which was collect all the bills at the end of the month, divide them by five and add that to people's <laughs> bill every month. Or I could just pay it all myself. Yeah. So I decided instead of every month collecting all the bills, dividing it by five, and adding that to people's rent, that I would just ask for more in rent and include all the utilities. Which, when I talk to people or I put my make my posts, uh, when we're looking for somebody, I think people like that because can you imagine your rent changing every month based off the utility usage of you and four other people? Um. So. I basically just added a. I, I took what market value was for a house, uh, for a room, which is in my area around six hundred ish dollars, and I just added a hundred bucks. So bare minimum, if you're renting a room for me, it's going to be seven hundred dollars. Most people pay seven fifty. The one guy who has his own private bathroom, like the the master bathroom or master bedroom, uh, he pays eight fifty because he has his own private bathroom so it just it was just easier for me to just eat it and then i've actually done the math over i think like two or three years since i've owned the property and i think per month the utilities have averaged around 450 so plus or minus i'm up 50 bucks over a two-year average um of of doing that so i'm not trying to make money off of it it's just so inconvenient to 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 take all the bills the garbage, the water, the the gas, the electric and every at the end of every month and then tell everybody what they need to pay. It's just way too crazy. So, um, yeah, I just I just eat that and uh, I pay all the utilities.
0: I think it's also it's a benefit, right? Because people like to know what their nut is every month. Like people ask me yes. for long terms. I'm like, I don't know. I've never lived there. I don't know how many showers are going to take. And I have duplexes where I split it and I'm like, oh, I got to split the thing again. Like I, mean, I can't imagine it's... five. That would be like just silly. <laughs>
1: so annoying right and then times that by five properties
0: right or whatever
1: right because you like got to think in your mind eventually you want to scale right
0: yeah yeah
1: so so yeah so that i try to avoid that um again house five different people probably not the most ideal situation in the world but i made it work um but yeah yeah just just pay the utilities and add it on to the rent and 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 that's what i tell people is like hey look your 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 rent is this period so it's 750 every month just don't leave the water running 24 7 because because like (laughs) if the utilities get out of hand then i'm going to change stuff right but thus far i think people have been reasonable so you know yeah
0: that makes sense and like yard maintenance is that an issue how do you handle that
1: yeah no luckily i've um since there's a downstairs and upstairs i told the downstairs people hey you guys are responsible for the backyard front uh, upstairs people you're responsible for the front yard so it's not like one person's responsible for the whole thing. And I left a lawnmower there, an electric lawnmower. So I left an electric lawnmower and two extension cords. And basically, I just said, hey, look, if it's above, if it's like middle way, what is that? Your If it's halfway up your calf, it's time to mow. So, yeah, <laughs> that's,
0: that's a pretty high bar.
1: Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. so and, I'm, and I tell these people, like, look, I'm not a landscaper, you're not a landscaper. I get it, nothing crazy. I'm not asking you to weed the place, I'm not asking you to trim the bushes or anything like that. Just mow the yard. And it, uh, last night, I went there um, after work and I took my leaf blower and I blew all the leaves off of the driveway two reasons one to show them that I still want the property to be cared for and two I don't want anybody slip and fall and try to sue me but I do have liability insurance so if you do sue me I have liability insurance
0: right <laughs> leaf blowers <laughs> are fun too I was just talking this yeah I know I love leaf blower. Yeah. <laughs> like very satisfying right like,
1: yeah yeah super yeah. super fun yeah <laughs> that
0: was my first like homeowner experience like firing up a <laughs> gas mower and a leaf blower I'm like I made it like
1: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> And and everybody's been pretty cool about that because it's really here in Oregon, right? It's only during the summertime, really, yeah. when grass grows crazy. So about three or four months. And I just say, hey, during that time, please be on top of it. The rest of the year, the grass ain't growing. Don't worry about it.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I have a guy I use and I just, I, I hire him. But I, I mean, if you can equally kind of define it, like one duplex, there's no real line. So I'm like, where do I draw that line? So awesome. Right. Yeah, good point. Um, Well, that was really great. I'd love to next dive into your fourplex, like how you got it. It was off market, which is right. What everyone wants. And that's
1: what everybody wants. Off market means best deal ever. Multi,
0: all the things.
1: Yep. (laughs) Yep. So, yeah. yeah, So uh, I'm glad you brought that up. That's kind of my crown jewel so far. Everybody tells me it was an amazing deal and I'm starting to believe them. So I used all the money that I saved because that's, that's the strategy save a bunch of money. So I used all the money that I saved um, to buy a four unit building, which is actually only nine minutes away from my current residence. I have a house in Milwaukee and my fourplex in Gladstone. And um, basically what I did was I decided that year that I was like, OK, COVID's almost over. The moratorium stuff is over. People have to pay their rent and everything like that. So I feel more comfortable and safe that like, okay, I can buy a property now. So I decided in 2021, I was going to buy a fourplex. So what did I need? Well, if you do it traditionally, you're going to need 20% down. So I was like, nope, I ain't got that. I, I'm i telling you guys, I do not have a bunch of money. All of this is me saving and working really hard. I have a full-time, I have a part-time and I have a photography business uh, and I handyman all of my properties when I can. So super, super busy trying to save and make as much as I possibly can. So 20% was out of the question. So I was like, okay, what else can I do? FHA, that is the strategy. What is it? Federal housing, whatever. FHA loan, that's what you want because you can do a minimum of three and a half percent down. I will tell you that will not work in Oregon. You cannot put 3.5% down on a four unit building. It will not work. It will not pencil. The loan will not go through. I ended up having to put 10% down, which was still half is still less than 20. And trust me, the extra 10% is a huge difference. Mm-hmm. So by putting 10% down, um, I was able to qualify for an FHA loan. My credit is still good. I still have the same employment, right? I'm in sales. Um, So I was able to qualify for the loan. How did I find it? Well, there's a little secret that me and Shona keep to ourselves, but we're going to expose it right here on this podcast. This is an industry first. If you go to any title or escrow company and ask them for a list of whatever you're looking for, they'll give it to you for free. That is right. I went to a local title company called First American Title and I said, hey, you guys, I'm an investor. I want to buy a four unit building. Can you give me a list of every four unit building in Clackamas County and in Washington County? I specifically ignored Multnomah County because if you're in Oregon, you understand that Portland hates landlords. Shona <laughs> knows that. So I Port stay landlord. out of Multnomah County. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> landlords are the worst, right? The so worst. I stay away from that, at least for now. So everything that I have is in Clackamas County. So what I did is they gave me a list of addresses and I used a program called Batch tracing.com. So com, I put all of the addresses the title company gave me for free. In to their website, and they gave me a list of all of the phone numbers associated with those owners of that property. So I picked up the phone and I started calling them, and I told them, I said, Hey, look, I am a small time investor. I will owner occupy it. I am pre approved for a loan. I'm not a wholesaler. I'm not an institutional buyer who's trying to rip you off and get seventy cents on the dollar. I will pay you a fair and reasonable price, but I also need it to make sense because I'm getting a loan. And I had a couple people that were like, yeah, give, give me a million dollars. Ha 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 ha. Right. Um, really what they were saying, you know, I know inv- some investors are jerks or whatever. What they're really saying is I don't want to sell. And and because their numbers were wildish, completely off, off what was possible. So I said, thank you anyways. Um, I called a few other people who said, nope, not interested. I called a bunch of people like 50 I'd say 50% of the numbers that I got were wrong. Um, So I I wasn't able to get a hold of those owners. But every number I called, I left a message. And I said, hey, I'm looking for Mr. and Mrs. Smith, uh, the owner of this fourplex. I have a question. Call me back. And I had a couple of people call me back. And um, here's the really cool thing. I found the owner of this fourplex my first day cold calling. No way. First day. Lucky. Yep. I, I called... I think I called off that list. I think I called maybe half of it. I called fifty or sixty people, and he was in that first fifty or sixty people. I called him. He said, "Here's the price I want. That's a fair price." Click. Hung up on me. <laughs> so, so I I analyzed some stuff really quickly, and I was like, "Okay, what does Zillow say? What does Redfin say? What is you know what is this, that, and the other? What what do I think about the location? All this other stuff. Do I want to even own this and and whatever?" And I was interested in everything. I was like, okay, this all makes sense. So I called him back and I said, hey, I think your price makes sense depending on the rents and what you pay in utilities. I said, can you get me that information? And he said, yeah, I I get this, I get this, I get this, I get this, and I pay for the water. And I said, how much is the water? And he said, ah, it's about 300. I called the utility company to verify. And then I also found out he had to pay for exterior uh exterior lights, which is like maybe $30 a month. But you need to know all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I ran the numbers and it made sense. The property actually cash flowed without raising any rent.
0: That's impressive. That's rare. Yes. Right? Very rare. Okay.
1: At his price point, it's still ca- only a couple hundred bucks, but it's still cash flowed without raising rents which obviously wouldn't work because using an FHA loan, you have to own or occupy one of the properties. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, then, then I would be living in there and not getting rent from myself, but anyways, it made sense. So I was just like overjoyed. And then I talked to my lender about it. Um, because this is off market. I learned my lesson the first time I didn't need a real estate agent. They didn't help me at all anyways. So I saved the commission. So, so I went to my lender who had pre-approved me with an FHA loan, told her all about this and sent her over the signed contract. That's what I did, right? I, I, I used a contract um, from one of my buddies. I'm not a licensed agent, whatever. I didn't need 70 page contract. It was like a three page contract with the price, the terms, I was gonna have an inspection period and all that stuff. And I sent it over to my lender. We sent it over to the title company to get things rolling. And she uh, basically said, you were this close to not making it work because fha has a sustainability clause where the where the rents have to cover the mortgage it's 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 required and that's why it's so impressive that i got this deal because everybody i've talked to literally everybody that knows anything about small multifamily has said you getting that with an fha loan is almost unheard of because no, the like when when you buy the property, the the owner always wants way more than it can sustain with the current rents. Because all us landlords hate raising the rents on people, we really do. So their rents are lower than what they should be, and they're asking for market value, and that gap doesn't allow for financing with an FHA loan unless you put a lot a lot of money down. That's why that three and a half. and it was a lot of work i have a lot of different sources of income covid happened um i think even i think even on the original uh contract we wrote the address wrong he didn't know the actual correct address so we had the loan company or the title company said hey this is the actual legal address of that property resign that so all kinds of stupid stuff happened but we made it work
0: but if you would have known all that going into, right, you probably would have been like, there's no way I can get an FHA loan. But you just dove into it. You got made the calls. You did the work. And I think that's the thing about just taking the action, right? It's like if you had known all of that, you'd want to talk yourself out of it. But like, there's no way I can get into multi, small multi.
1: I definitely got lucky. Um, I mean, I found a person at the time. It was off market. Um, Actually, what's really crazy is I bought it, it about for 679 And it appraised for seven ten.
0: That's awesome. So
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and that's what everybody does. Like everybody look at Shona, everybody, like when somebody goes to get an appraisal on a property, the appraiser's job is to get as close to the purchase price as possible. That's and whether that's right or wrong. I think it's messed up. I'm paying for an appraisal to get the actual value, not the contract price.
0: So close though. Yeah. You're like really yeah. like, did they, yeah, yeah. They didn't they, know that though. I
1: mean, right, right, exactly. So the appraiser actually gets the contract. So they get to see the price you're buying it for and their job whether I think it's right or wrong, I think it's wrong. Their job is to try to get it as close to the contract price as possible, which is stupid. That's not the actual point of an appraisal. But anyways, he came back at seven ten, dollars which is $30,000 more than the purchase price. And my lender, every other lender that I talked to, multiple real estate agents that I talked to, and other investors like, like you guys, everybody said that the fact that he, ha- he was so far away from the purchase price means you got a deal. And that was all based off of current rents. Since then, I've remodeled two of the units and I've raised the rent twice on the other two units. Those people hate me, but they still have a place to live. Right. So, and, and that's the really tough thing I hate. And that's really the, the hard thing about buying an owner-occupied property is, is generally if it's a multifamily, somebody's living in there and you're gonna have to kick them out. So that is the sad part of owner-occupying properties. Um, and it's hard. It really is. Like I had to go to somebody, his life was totally normal until I bought the property. And then I had this like send him paperwork saying, Hey, you have 90 days to leave. Cause I'm going to go live there. So, um, and he wasn't very happy. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so that was tough. And, um, the other people they are so below market value. So that's the other thing that's really tough is that they were so below market value. I raised the rent the maximum I could last year. And I'm raising it again, the maximum I can this year. And they're still below market value. So should I like from an investor standpoint, should I like, kicked them out and just renovated and got max rent? Probably. But I didn't want to come in here into a four unit building and kick everybody out like one after another, just kick, keep kicking people. I didn't want to do that. Kicking one person out was hard enough. And then the other guy uh, downstairs in the unit that I'm currently in now his, his unit was messed up. He was paying the lowest amount of rent and he was growing pot in one of the rooms. Like he had like turned one of the rooms into a grow room and, uh, some other stuff. So I was just like, Hey man, you know, this isn't going to work out. So I asked him to leave and I didn't, and the other two people were like legitimately frightened. Like they were like, they talked to me and said, Hey Brandon, we don't want to leave. And I'm like, okay, you know, um, the only way I can accommodate that is by raising rents. And, um, you know, they're not happy about it, but I basically told them, those are the only choices that I have is you either I have to ask you to leave or I need to raise the rent. So they're like understanding about it, obviously not happy. Right. Cause they're paying more for the same place, same, yeah. but I've been trying to do things right. I've been making it nicer. I've, you know, uh, you know, when things break, I, I put something new in there, you know, I try to be really responsive to their needs and stuff like that.
0: I think yeah, I talk to a lot of landlords and they've had tenants for 15 years and they're like, you know, they're become friends. But I think you have to realize if you don't, the way I've tried to frame it is if you don't charge current rents, like you can't afford to maintain it and then things don't neglect it and then you And then
1: when you try to sell it and when you try to sell yeah. it to another investor, right? Because the only person who's gonna buy like a duplex, triplex, or fourplex is somebody who has some type of investor mindset, right? Mm-hmm. So they have to be able to justify it because if your rents are so low that they have to raise it two, three, four times just to cash flow or break even, it's not worth it to do the deal. So you've priced yourself out of the market because people can't afford to buy your property because it's so uh, low. There's no cash flow there. Um, so you really have to keep up on that.
0: And I mean, just to maintain the property, because if you don't maintain it, it's it's not it's not safe for anyone. Properties are very expensive, they're very risky, and things always go wrong. And if you don't maintain them, yep. they you know then you become a slumlord, right? And that's why people hate landlords when they don't maintain things. My last house, the tenants had been there quite a while. They had very below market rent, and I think they didn't report fixes because I didn't want their rent to go up. So it was like this just silly situation because they didn't want the rent to go up so it was the epitome of why you need to charge market rents and fix them
1: and the other reason the other thing too which i'm going to implement starting january so next month i'm going to give everybody every everybody in the house and all these units in the fourplex i am doing a full-on inspection Mm -hmm. i'm going into everybody's room Mm -hmm. i'm going on the roof i'm going under the crawl space so yeah, starting January 1st, I'm going through all that stuff. I'm going to be looking for mold, water damage, smoke detectors, make sure that they haven't been tampered with, that right? they still work.
0: That they're even up.
1: <laughs> I've had I've had multiple renters that are vaping or whatever, and they took them down, right? Like you're supposed to have one in each room or something like that. And I'm like, nope, nope, nope. In the lease agreement specifically says $250 fee for tampering with those. Very serious. And I gave one person a warning and I told everybody, I said, no, you guys do not touch that stuff. Very important. Um, your renter's insurance that I make you have will not pay for a burnt down house. I promise. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so I'm basically going through everybody's unit. I'm looking for damages. I'm looking for, and this isn't to charge them more rent or anything. It's to say like, Hey, if, if the faucets leaking, it's causing damage. Right. And I need to address it. If um, if the toilet's leaking, it's causing damage and I need to address it. So these are things to protect my asset um, and hopefully make a better living environment for them. But it's very important to do those inspections. You got to look at the furnace, the HVAC, the water heater, all that stuff, right? Like all very important. You need to look at all of your things. Um, so so that's what I plan to do in January. Is it annoying? Is it, it? Does it take of my time? It's probably going to take me an entire day to, to do all that stuff, right? And take pictures and video And make sure that i know what's going on in these units but it's very important because like you said i mean tenants have this thing where like oh if they come over here and fix stuff my rent's going up that may or may not be true and it may go up anyways so let us fix the stuff right because a leaky faucet turns into just tightening a bolt
0: right versus or or
1: turns into severe water damage which costs thousands of dollars to fix so like, let us fix it the easy way first, because if it requires thousands of dollars to fix, yes, your rent's going to go up. Cause you didn't tell us about it and it cost us thousands of dollars to fix it.
0: it. Completely. And you have to be proactive. Like I get every year, I get my furnaces checked, I get the gutters cleaned and yeah, I mean, I don't have to do that, but I'd rather be proactive make sure it's safe. Cause to your point, like I've had leaky faucets and it was not pretty cause I didn't tell me or they didn't think it was a big deal. I was tell people if it squeaks, like, let me know. I want to know it's the tiniest little thing that's one thing like i think the benefit of maybe rent by room or midterm or whatever str you're in there a lot more so you get to see or you get eyes on your property versus if you've got some in there for like years and you're not diligent on inspections it's just kind of pros and cons so
1: yeah good point yeah i mean there's um you know because i fly people in one area there's there's more of a turnover right Mm -hmm. because there's you know there's you know more people who have more chance to to move or whatever um, but yeah, so I get to be in there more often. I do have access to common areas and, and I do a lot of the work myself, right? I was blowing off the driveway. I clean out the gutters. So I have to go through the house to put a, a ladder on the deck. And so I get to like, see what's going on. And, you um, and doors? I always, would... yeah, <laughs> yeah, I got a leaf blower. What is you? what do you think it's for? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I want to see my roof, right? Like, I don't right, right. Roof, if you send a <laughs> roofer up there, they're going to say you need a new roof, right? Oh, I
0: didn't do my gut. but um gutters are they're high i mean you're it's kind of a dangerous thing yeah
1: yeah for sure yeah absolutely yeah Yeah, if i fell down and broke my neck i'd never do it again right hopefully i would you know hopefully i'd be all right but um yeah so i mean and eventually but again this is like i just want to you know try to relate to people like i'm doing this on a shoestring budget i'm trying to save all the money i can I'm doing the crappy things like cleaning cleaning gutters. I mean, people charge what two or three hundred bucks for that? Oh
0: I mean, I, I've gotten quotes and I'm like, when we yeah. moved to our current house, I was a new construction, and I almost fell off the chair because I'm like, you're gonna charge me what versus my handyman who's very weak yeah, like, I didn't even yeah know exactly yeah, if you expensive.
1: call if you call yeah. somebody from Google who's a gutter cleaning mm-hmm. professional, you're yeah, you're hundreds of dollars hundreds and that's yeah, and that's and that's your cash flow for the month.
0: Mm-hmm, exactly. You know what I mean?
1: You can't do that all the time. Yeah. If you pay a licensed contractor to come in and do all your work all the time, you'll never be able to actually cash them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a time and place for licensed subs. But, you know, build your team, have your people. And I like kind of independent people. I'll just text them. I've got my electrician, my plumber. I've got a pest guy. I love him. He's yeah. Right, guy. <laughs> You know, because you get those corporate companies out there, and they're just like, "Well, you've got some." They just give you this whole bloated estimate. And one pest guy, he literally asked out my tenant, who was senior. I was like, "You didn't just do that?" <laughs> <was Wow>. Fired. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's crazy! Wow. Yeah,
0: he was just a little too friendly. I'm like, I don't need my pest guy to be chatting with my tenants. You know. <laughs>
1: oh my gosh yeah. that's crazy and
0: then he I had I had squirrels or something in the roof and there was something they're protected and he gave me this bid that was like thousands of dollars I'm like that's insane I'm gonna call my guy and he just went up there and set a trap and you know got them out but right yeah the things you deal with like with yeah the squirrel I've had I yeah we all have stories we should have oh
1: should yeah have no I'm sorry <laughs> I, I, I have a huge deck on my fourplex the upstairs people have a deck the railing was wiggly when I bought it mm-hmm. super important to fix right I had multiple quotes in the tens of thousands of dollars because they wanted to replace all of it. They wanted to do all new railing. And I was like, why can't you just fix the one that's there? And they're like, well, we can't guarantee the safety of that. And I'm like, so you can't as, as professionals, you can't brace that. You can't find some way to make it safe. And they're like, well, we don't do that. So me and my handyman, uh, I mean, probably all told three days, less than $500 in materials. Right, and, and it is a rock solid now you could drop kick that thing and you'd be all right
0: yeah and it just takes and, some
1: time and yeah, yeah. it just it took some time with a lot of screws you know we replaced a bunch of stuff or whatever right but like less than 500 dollars in materials and these people are trying to charge me like one of the quotes was like twelve thousand dollars
0: yeah and i'm I like mean,
1: never i'll never make any money on a rental if i'm tra- if i'm replacing railing for twelve thousand dollars
0: right but i think that's people's worst fear they think the toilet's going they're going to call you're going to get a call like 2:10 in the morning the toilet's leaking and i don't know someone trashed the house like there's so many like misconceptions about being a landlord yes it's work but i've never gotten a leaky toilet call at two in the morning i don't know about you like usually it's reasonable you know i've I've had i can tell you stories i've had crazy stories but i can figure it out right i mean
1: the leaky toilet okay okay mr and mrs renter you see that little knob down there on the bottom left of the toilet turn that all the way off
0: right yeah just that's it you know I know I mean? yeah. I actually had when we had Airbnb's, um, we had under the sink they had like the crappy white hoses and they just blew and so the tenants like literally packed up and left and and then my co-host called me and there was water like spewing. <laughs> it was like one of those moments. I'm like, okay, I turned the water off and I got a bunch of towels and you know luckily I was right next door. But I mean that was like the worst water situation and it was fixable, right? It, it yep. just yeah, yep. I so, yeah. absolutely
1: <laughs> So so yeah. So I mean house hacking, yes, you get to live there. Yes, you're living with strangers. You know, yes, it'll cash flow better, yes, is more management, yes, you gotta learn to live with people now, you gotta live with other people. You know what I mean? There's a bunch of pros and cons to that stuff. I mean, there's there's maintenance, there's tenant turnover, there's headaches, there's all this stuff. But I'm 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 telling you, I bought an on market at value. If the realists paid 6% interest or 6% uh, commission, like, you know, no discounts on anything. Everything was full price, the property, everything. And I still made it work. So house hacking is super invaluable. And it was, I did it for two years. And the only reason why I did it for two years is because of COVID. I, mean, I was concerned about like the market, the economy and everything that was going on with a worldwide pandemic. But even then that allowed me to save more money. So I was able to put 10% down on this four unit building. And honestly, I have about 10% saved again. So I'm going to either go see if I can finagle another fourplex or do a duplex or something like that. Um, and the greatest thing right now is, I mean, I don't have any partners. Everything's 100% on, on, under me and I have control over everything. And I'm right now, I'm just trying to build up my base. Like I want a solid like three grand, five grand a month cash flow you know, where I feel comfortable, where my expenses are covered. And then I can start doing the tricky stuff like, oh, let's try a midterm rental. Let's try a short term rental. Let me use Shona's amazing information about midterm rentals. (laughs) And then I could call on her at any point in time with all kinds of random questions and have a very successful midterm rental. So, yeah. So, I mean, house hacking, is just, it's the super best way to do it. And nothing crazy. I used a normal loan. I got a regular house on market, like anybody can do that. I didn't even get a deal and it still worked out. So like, I mean, like John said, like everybody says like, yes, you need to educate yourself. But I think at least for, at least for me, but I think for Shona as well, they don't teach you what you're going to truly experience as a landlord in the books. Like nobody goes into the detail of the things you're going to like, I remember putting in flooring one time and it was so wonky. We I had to learn how to use self-leveling compound. And then I had to figure out what type of self-leveling compound to use and how long it needed to sit. And, and I had to buy the trowel to smooth it out. Like there's in this one corner, like there's so many things that you're going to run into that you just, just go for it. Just do it. Just action, yeah. right? Just go buy something and you'll figure it out, right? There's nothing in a house that is unrepairable. There's nothing in a house that's going to set you back financially for 20 years like you'll figure it out. Just run your numbers, talk to other investors, try to make it cash flow, and you know, try to find a good deal if you can, but the most important thing is you're paying down your mortgage. That that that'll never go up. It's a 30-year fixed. I don't recommend uh especially new people do variable rate mortgages. Um I I think they learned a lot from 2008, but like if you're a newbie, don't mess around with balloon payments. Don't 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 try to time the market that way. Um, you'll put, you could put yourself in a bad situation. So get a 30 year fixed and, and just, you know, and even if you end up not renting it out, you're a homeowner, congratulations. You know what I mean? You'll, you'll, you'll get equity that
0: way. Because where you do like, it's a stepping stone, right? You or occupy it. And then instead yep. of when you're ready to upgrade, you just pull your equity out. You keep it as a rental. Yep. And then you're, you've yep. got two properties and you can do that a couple of times, right? That's just so there's yes. so many ways to approach it. And I think, yeah, I absolutely people are so terrified of doing that. I'm like, how did you sell your house? Like, it's just, you're just, anyway, it's not for everyone. And you also, I think you said you're not, I mean, I think we're all, we are, we take cal- very calculated risks, right? It's definitely, we run our numbers. We know there's some risk, but the upside is so big, right? And the worst case yep. is you sell it. I mean, like, you know, try it out. You'll probably figure it out and be really glad you kept your property or started your journey. So, yeah,
1: absolutely. the The worst deal today is the best deal twenty years from now. I That's, mean, yeah, you know, the first deal, I didn't really know what I was doing. I just knew I could make a cash flow, right? I went on a Craigslist and Facebook marketplace, and I'm like, well, what a what do rooms rent for? Mm-hmm. Ah, about six hundred bucks. So I timed six hundred times five because when I left, it needed a cash flow. And then I was like, okay, well, I'll add the $100 to cover the utilities. Oh, I'm going to cash flow. This is great. And then I build equity while I wait. Um, Or like you said, your primary residence, buy a home, live in it for a couple of years and then say, okay, hey, I'm going to do a cash out refi or whatever, or I've saved up more money, keep it as a rental and then go buy another house. So, I mean, there's a bunch of ways you can do it. You don't have to live with strangers, right? I mean, it just, it helped me grow faster. And I mean... And there's even faster ways to do it. You can find a person who owns a hundred unit building who will sell or finance it to you for nothing down.
0: Totally out there. Let
1: me know when you find that. I will help you analyze the deal. (laughs) Let me know. Um, But... uh...
0: Or or you know, find a place with that like a like when I was looking at I was like, I want a mother-in-law, which I was very hard to find. But you can yeah, have ADUs. a basement unit, right? Basement, so you can have that yeah. separation. Like you mm-hmm. may not want there's so many ways to like capitalize or add value to a property, you know.
1: Yeah, no, I mean the place that I bought was actually a split level. So I could have put a door and locked it and rented out just the downstairs and it would have offset my mortgage. Yeah. Wouldn't have paid the whole thing, but it would have offset the mortgage substantially and I could have just lived upstairs and had somebody live downstairs or vice versa and right? it would have
0: been super private like I had a door yeah. going in the upstairs and just having that door so I and I was like yep. I don't share my living room you have your upstairs yep. I'm not going to go up there and hang out <laughs> it's like yeah. yeah very clear on like what because I was just you know living with strangers and it was like I knew I was I was just this was and it paid off I mean it really was like the my starter house right that kept on yep. giving man that house is like <laughs> the appreciation and the equity i mean yes
1: yeah and, and i mean you still own it right you can do yeah. cash out refinance you probably have a, a home equity line of credit oh, on it, it. Is,
0: oh so it's bought two houses and i pulled equity out of it and it still has equity because i bought yep. it so long ago right i mean yep. and the, yep. yeah so it's just
1: and yeah. hey everybody i want you to listen to that that right there is probably one of the most important things you can learn she bought the house so long ago so she held on to it that it's been the appreciation the cash flow she has been able to leverage that asset multiple times see i'm only 29 right so i i didn't buy a house when i was 18 but you know i wish i did i really did right but if you buy a house and hold on to that hold on to that thing you can leverage that so many times over and over and over again to keep helping you buy properties so that's that's my biggest thing against flipping is it's really cool. It's a great way to get some quick cash, but you've given up the asset.
0: It is not investing. It's like wholesaling and flipping are not investing. It's great capital building, but you're not building a legacy. You're not building stepping stones.
1: Right. It, and, yeah, it's great, yeah. great for capital. Yeah. If you do it right, you'll make a lot of money quick, which is great. But trust me, if you hold if they held on to that for five, 10 years, it, the the equity and everything would be, I would say probably comparable. To what they got from exactly. the flip, and then they still have the property. So right. if you just wait five years, you know. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think that's kind of like my pitch on house hacking is that it will absolutely change your life. It will give you the ability to buy more properties. It will teach you so many things: living with new people, figuring out schedules, how to handle. Okay, who's going to clean the floors? Whose dishes are those, you know, uh, who's going to clean the microwave, all this stupid stuff, right? Stupid stuff. It really is. But, um, you know, but it worked. It it made sense. Financially, I am far better off than I would have been if I wouldn't have done it. Um, I don't want to say how much better off, but far better off if I was still a renter.
0: Oh my gosh. Right. And you made that investment and you, it's kind of a sacrifice because it's uncomfortable and it's just, you know, you don't have your house to yourself. I mean, I did times I said like where I went and was like hiding in my rooms. I didn't want to talk to anyone. Like I just, but I knew, I knew on some level, this was Was well worth it. So yeah, anyone starting out, it's such an approachable strategy. And again, you can find like an ADU or a split level if you you have a family, you know. And there's so many creative ways. So um,
1: yeah, exactly. And I leveraged that into a fourplex. So right. So I'm technically still house hacking. I live in the building with my (laughs) renters. So I went from living in a room to a unit, and then hopefully I'll be able to stop living with my renters eventually. Right. But it just, it's so lucrative to own or occupy stuff. It's, you get the best rates, you get the best deals, you get the best terms. It's uh, it's hard to pass up if you can, if you can swing it. And if you're willing to make those sacrifices for the first couple of years, I mean, if, if I did nothing else and I let my renters pay down my properties, I would have a million dollars worth of paid off properties in 30 years.
0: Right. And that's I mean... if, And
1: that's if they didn't appreciate
0: right yeah which they are
1: right yeah right you know what I mean so if I did nothing else so I mean and I'm only 29 right so I mean there's I'm gonna have you
0: on again you're gonna be like
1: (laughs) yeah like five years from now let me come back five years from now yeah and we'll readdress this and be like okay cool now I have like five four plexes and a 20 plex and uh in my 20 unit building five of them are (laughs) midterm rentals the other five are short-term rentals and
0: yeah uh, (laughs) And the other point is when I just want to make, I'm. It's owner occupied is one year minimum, right? Before you can move on, is that yes? The, which
1: okay, gives yeah. you enough time to build up capital for the next property. Exactly. Well, if you want to get technical, you have to intend to live there for one year. So if circumstances changes, if you have a baby, if your job changes, if you know you have an illness in the family or something, you know, you just have to intend to live there when you sign the paper. I mean, live there for a year, get to know the renters, handpick the people you want to live there, you know, whether they're above you or in rooms or whatever, Um, you know, work on the property, save up money for your next, your next, you got to live somewhere. So might as well live in your rental, right. And make it work for you and save up money. So um, I think that's the best strategy for people who are cash strapped. Like myself Mm -hmm. is get those low down payments with, you know, 3.5% down, 10% down if you, if you buy a second home, it's 5% down, you know what I mean? So those low down payments really, really matter when you don't have unlimited capital to keep putting 20% down on stuff.
0: And and there's a limited period in your life where you can like kind of move around more quickly and you have, like we don't have W2s anymore. We are the hardest people to finance. It's just like, okay, yeah, you got yeah. You're just a total pain in the butt. Like you want my first one, like what else do you want to prove that i it's yeah. So really and hard. that's what
1: I tell, that's what I tell all my friends. Keep your W2. Mm-hmm. It is, I mean, it is, it's stupid. You can make way more if you worked for yourself or had your own business, but you become unlendable for at least two years.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. it's a If you don't have any assets. Right. If you have a W2 and your owner occupied man, like leverage that as many times as you can.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing. Oh. And that's what I tell all my friends, like W2 owner occupied, W2 uh, owner occupied.
0: It, it's the it's the secret thing. Well, this has been so fun. A couple of uh, wrap up cool. questions. Your top business or life advice you'd give someone maybe starting out like yourself. like clearly you're doing it. you're living the dream. <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> living the dream, yeah, exactly. And um, hustling. yeah, hus- hustling absolutely. I mean life or business advice, life advice be frugal. business advice save a bunch of money.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: You'll, you'll never go wrong with those two things. You'll never, if you do those things, um, fight the lifestyle creep. Um, you know, I, I, could, I could live a lot more lavishly than I could have three years ago. And I choose not to, because I'm reinvesting it. I'm going to use that money to buy another property. Mm-hmm. I could, you know, get a Tesla. I could, I mean, not to brag. I mean, I could buy a Tesla, like not the most expensive one, but I could buy a Tesla almost in cash. But instead, I'd rather buy a property. So, um, you know, use, use that money to, to buy assets and the assets will pay for the things that you want. So, so that, that's, that's my business advice. Take assets, throw that, the, the cash flow that they throw off, use that to buy the things that you want.
0: That is, that's where it's at. All right. What is your superpower?
1: (sighs) I would say since I make a lot of cold calls, uh, persistence, determination, and a little bit of stupidity. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I, and I say that because it, it takes a, a lot of mental fortitude. Maybe that's, maybe that's what it is. Mental fortitude mm-hmm. to make hundreds of phone calls uh, a day
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and then do it the next day and then do it for weeks and do it for months. So um, uh, that was my job before COVID calling. And then during COVID, I was cold calling for my business to drum up, you know, uh, photography opportunities. And then I started working with a flipper and wholesaling. And now I'm cold calling being a wholesaler. So it's a, sales is a really valuable skill. And I've basically, everything I've produced is by picking up the phone. And that's really, really hard for people. And honestly, I hate it, but it provides me a lot of opportunities. So mental fortitude, that's probably my superpower <laughs>
0: I love it. I mean it's I think that's the scariest thing. To, like talk to, you get you get that lead and you have to talk to the seller and it's just it's terrifying. I still get like nervous and they're always just super nice and it's like, oh that was a great conversation, but I had to just like psych myself up to call an inbound lead back from a letter.
1: And I'm just calling these people out of the blue, yeah. Hey, do you want to sell your house? <laughs> I've um, been called a lot of things. Yesterday um, I was called interesting. I was called interesting <laughs> yesterday and I don't know if that is a good thing or a bad thing.
0: I'm sure you've been called a lot a lot worse things.
1: A few things. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Not everybody's and,
1: like that. That's like, that's like 5% of the phone
0: calls. Yeah. But you I mean, you have to push through that and then the yep. upside, right? Yeah. Um. Yep. No, I've, I've realized like my backgrounds in marketing and I don't know a lot about sales, but I'm realizing that's a hat that I need to learn more about because it's a real skill and it's different than marketing. It's a whole different yeah. animal.
1: I don't know anything about marketing. I don't, I think <laughs> me and Shona, we would be a good team. Cause I, 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 have, <laughs> I have the sales background. I do like almost like seven, eight years in the sales game, but I don't really know anything about marketing. So um, like they're it. totally two different things, but they work really well together.
0: They And I I think because I was in marketing, I assumed I understood sales and I'm realizing it is very different and it's not, yeah. does not come naturally at all.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, all right. A book or a podcast that you'd recommend?
1: Other than this podcast, because um, obviously that's the first one we want people to listen to. That's where they're going to get all the gold. Thank you. Um, I mean, I mean, I hate to be redundant. I'm sure everybody's heard this a million times. Rich Dad, Poor Dad was the book that started me originally. Um, uh, Bigger Pockets podcast. You're going to run into hundreds of thousands of people that have answered and been through what you're about to go through. So if you want to know what it's like, talk to those, you know, talk to those people, the Bigger Pockets forum and that type of stuff. I'm not a member. I don't promote them. I've just been on their forums. I've learned a lot. Um, so, yeah, but rich dad, poor dad. Um, if, if that doesn't give you a mentality shift, if that doesn't take you from consumer to investor, I don't know what will. So I would start with that. And I mean, hey, not everybody's cut out to be a real estate investor. I mean, it is it is tough. It really is. My tenants will hate you. Neighbors will hate you. Uh, you know, you're you cold, cold calling people to find more deals. There, those people are going to hate you. Like, I mean, it's it's tough. It really is
0: that book, I think is pivotal. I mean, it's, it's, there's a reason why everyone talks about it, right? It just, yes. If you haven't
1: read it, just do it just because everybody tells you to do it. This is the one thing to actually, yeah, do that. Read that
0: book. (laughs) I've made my son listen to it. He's 11. I'm like, you're going to get this concept. (laughs) Yep.
1: Yep. Cat was that they had the cash flow game or whatever. We
0: played that. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, this is just brilliant. It just, it's teaching in this very real way. All right. Last question, like plug your business. How can people find you work with you? All that good stuff.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm on Facebook. Um, Brandon Hendrick. You can find me there. Uh, Instagram. I think I have an Instagram for my virtual tours OR business. So virtual tours OR, that's what Shona was uh, referring to. I have a real estate photography business. Uh, I think those are probably the two biggest platforms. And yeah, I'm absolutely, totally open to helping anybody. If you want to run numbers, if you want me to tell you what I think about a deal, if you want a JV, if you have some money but don't know what to do with it, more than happy to help you figure out something. I'm, I'm really focusing on the small to mid-range uh, multifamily, so four units, 20 units. That that sweet spot is kind of where I think I'm going to find my niche, and that's um, that's kind of where I'm going. So if anybody has any interest in that, feel free to reach out to me. And then, of course, uh, my email, pnwrentals1 at gmail.com. And you can send me anything you have, whether it be deals or questions, more than happy to help.
0: Awesome. Well, Brandon, thanks so much. This is this has been really fun. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you found it valuable. Please take a minute to hit the subscribe or follow button. It really helps other people find us and share it with a wider audience. We also appreciate five-star reviews. Also, please take a screenshot and tag us on your favorite social platform. We're at Cedar and Porch. The show was brought to you by the Midterm Rental Playbook course, your blueprint to setting up a successful midterm rental. Learn more at the midterm rental playbook.com link in the show notes.